And I felt like seven of my fingers had been removed or something. Like where you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. why didn't that do that? Hello. Oh, hi, Marilyn. Good morning, Dan. How's everything up uh, way up there? Oh, everything's tremendous here in San Francisco. You sound Is- good. You sound better. You sound like you've healed. Oh, you don't. No, no, I, I'm way worse than I was last week. Let's talk about me first. Yes. Yes. I feel so much better. <laughs> I still have seven maladies, but the good, but, this is the good seven. That's right. <laughs> I got rid of the, I'm, I'm finally, finally rid of the, it was, it was as Chris Anderson from Wired Magazine calls it a long tail. I had a long right. tail loogie and it took two weeks for it to be eradicated. Mm-hmm. And I feel much better now. And, uh, you but sound no, actually, you sound like yourself again. Thank you, Dan. So do you. Thanks. Um, no, tell me what happened. This is this is part of the same. Are we still uh, the same still thing? Ra- same railroading thing. on the same illness from last time. Yeah, my my wife was. Uh, you, you know, so my my little girl had it first. Then my kid, uh, older one, had like coughing and congestion. The other kid, and then my wife got it, and it was taking so long for my wife to get better. And you know, it was like, God, you, your immune system sucks. You know, like. <laughs> You must be bad. You must be a bad. I don't even feel bad for you. And then, uh, and then the same thing started to happen to me, where uh, you know it's it, like a nor- for, I think there's an agreed upon progression for a cold. I think it yes. goes a certain way, and 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 the way that it should go is you you uh oh, my throat hurts, and then uh it's probably nothing. It's just allergies, and then oh no, this is going to be a cold. And then you get like uh, a, a sneezing and a runny nose for a day or two. And then you get like some coughing for, for a couple days until that's cleared down. And then a week goes by and you're, you're better. This has been the weirdest, strangest cold because it, it started out with tremendous coughing. Uh, but not, not unproductive coughing, like a flu or something, but just like a cold, like I've had, like the way you would feel if you had a cold for four or five days and it's clearing up, that's how it began. And it just got worse. Mm. So just enjoying that. I, I sound feel, terrible. That's the worst part yeah, is that I just sound so terrible. You sound terrible. very professional though. <laughs> Thank you. Mm. I feel like today is the first day since this began where I feel like I, I can think straight and, and function and I don't feel terrible, mm-hmm. but it, it's still very congested and everything. But the sinus, the, the, the brutal, brutal, uh, blinding sinus pain is gone. Oh, that's good. Yeah. I mean, that's the good, that's, you I think, sound like you were the cold. Yeah. Yes. That's important. Um, I, I used to feel as though I were living, I was living in some kind of an age of reason. <laughs> <laughs> I feel funnier on days when you're sick. <laughs> you are brutal. I uh, used to think that there were things that I could learn enough about the world mm-hmm. and science and the cosmos, and I could learn all these things, and I would eventually be able to connect a lot of dots about causation. Mm. And where there was not something that explained causation, there was probably something that explained it that I just didn't learn about yet. And the older I get, the more I feel like I might be living in a medieval village, where the kind of thing where if if I I've heard this correctly. There were times when they, you thought that like people got sick partly because they weren't living right, and you know certainly there could be something to that. Like if you're if you're like you know uh, drinking ale with poop in it or something like that, that's going to have consequences, <laughs> right. right? Non-pasteurized <laughs> ale. We all learned that our sophomore year, right? 
Yes, Pasteur. That's right. But uh, but no, there are sometimes now where I just think I I I do feel like I I become superstitious. Where uh, I mean, first of all, with regards to the sickness and the bad personness. I do sometimes think, I wonder if I'm just a bad person. Mm-hmm. Like, I wonder, I wonder if I'm doomed to just always have this cold all the time. Yeah. But then I, then that med- medievality comes through also where I'll be, I'll be laying in bed, you know, it's like five fifty one. Right. So I know we're now officially in like the 11 minute zone when my daughter will want everyone oh, to wake up. Right. The witching hour. And I'll just be laying there and thinking, oh, you know, it's a day, day starting. And I'll hear and I'll think, all it takes is that one syllable mm. coming from a couple rooms away. And my mind goes down this medieval pathway where I'm like, ooh, like running through the woods. I'm, I'm getting chased by demons. I need to like take a bath in sea salts. Something extremely bad is happening. All it takes, do you know what I'm saying though? Yeah. Like you start really, I, I become like maybe overly sensitive to those kinds of cues. But I thought we had one of those a couple of days ago, but you know. Knock on wood. <laughs> I think the knocking on wood is supposed to startle uh, devils and or demons. I've never been totally clear on the difference, but I think it, it scares them away. The difference between a devil and a demon or? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the, you know, the, the cold ghosts, the illness ghosts. But I agree with you. I think there's absolutely, there's a, there's a progression. We've all agreed upon it. Uh, for me, it usually is the throat. Um, Where it the starts. One that I, yeah, I yeah. think I think what you have sounds like what I would call uh, a respiratory, an upper respiratory. You are I, if you like. <clears throat> um, Is that an important distinction to make? Like, what's the yeah, difference? You got to drink lots of cranberry juice and just flush it all out. Ooh, I no. never drink any. It's the worst. It's good, it's good with vodka. Um, I uh, uh, mine start uh, the thing that I get, and I don't. Th- you know what? This is really boring. When did our show become so weird? According to Twitter, fairly recently. Hmm. I got to get on that. Um, but for me, like, there's, there's, first of all, there is a uh, step minus one. There, there's a symptom that, that I always slough off, which is like f- coffee tastes weird. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I, I slough that off because sometimes coffee just tastes weird. Sometimes I make it badly. Angly. Are you still but, making it the fancy? Um, at work, I do an AeroPress. That's not fancy at all. The thing's filthy. It's got a patina. Oh, I don't think you're supposed to have that on your coffee God. supplies. It looks like copper, um, or or brass. I should get a steampunk coffee maker. <laughs> it's got some unnecessary <laughs> valves on it. I have to wear goggles when I use it. Yeah, got a submarine. I uh, no no for, for me it's coffee, but no no they go straight into like oh man. Like I can feel myself swallowing. Like that's that to me is the like, oh boy, here it comes. Here comes the medieval village. It's like I feel like a little something when I swallow. Yeah. And then for me, it might turn into snots, but that's usually a little later. For me, then it's like I just usually feel a little bit physically wrecked. Do you flush? Do you do you have like a like a neti pot or anything like that? Well, that's just my custom, Dan. I would like to mock you at this point for even mentioning that, except that I've been thinking about doing it again. I've been thinking about, I have done it. I had the Walgreens equivalent of a flusher mm-hmm. and uh, it was really, really sickening to use, but I, I could see myself getting kind of into it at this point. I need, I need to do a purge. Now, here's the thing. If you do go the nasal irrigation route, mm. um, they make a little squeeze bottle that allows you to sort of control the flow better than the neti pot does. But here's, this is, there have been many, many cases of people who have got the amoeba from what? using a neti pot. So you could be, this is the serious. The devil you say. Yeah, yeah, this is serious. What about an embolism? 
I don't think up. you get that from uh, from a neti pot. I but- just know there's certain some parts of the bar that you just don't blow into. And so I, what I would do is I would try that. The time I tried it, you you put a lot of like uh, pretty warm, salty water in your nose. Tell me what you've done with this. I kind of can't imagine you doing this. Oh no, I do this. I do this, this anytime I've got a a thing to keep keep stuff moving. Uh, mm-hmm. So it, basically, it's very important because there is. Uh, the amoeba is, uh, I'm going to say this wrong, but it's Negleria foleri, I think is how you say it. This is an amoeba that... Uh, is that the it, new head of Microsoft? It, it lives in freshwater lakes and rivers and things like that. And it, somehow, they, I guess, they get into a water supply. People, it's happened in Louisiana and other places. Uh, so the way to get rid of this... And you have to do this is either you buy distilled water from a source that's that's trustworthy, uh, or you you have to boil the water. You get organic water. You've got to boil the water. Yes, distilled or sterile water, or uh, boil it for they say three to five minutes. I boil it for ten, uh, and then you cool it, and then you, you're fine. But basically. Uh, you this irrigates your sinus passages it can relieve pressure it can clear things out and uh and and what you have to use is you have to uh it, you can buy this and and when you buy the pot a lot of the time it'll come with like a um medical grade uh, like saline salt type thing that you mix into it that that helps uh flush this out i should try it i should try it again um there's a funny thing that happens, and this is somewhat aviator related. I think one of my favorite themes in the aviator is that uh, is the, I call him Howard. Howard is is so involved in his compulsive and obsessive thoughts about certain things that he tends to overlook mm-hmm. other kinds of things you might want to be a little bit compulsive or obsessive about. But like you know, like in that case, in this case, like you know, he saves his peepee in, in jars for for a time. Which, you know, for him, that seems like part of like a larger program. Right. But actually, you probably, turns out, you wouldn't actually want to have your pee sitting around for a super long time. It doesn't seem super sanitary, the long nails, all that kind of stuff. Right. The weird thing is, and we've both read the the book, Mm -hmm. it it seems like his own processes and secretions and things like that did not bother him. Oh yeah, that's a good way to look at because it. Because even the idea of somebody else's, he thought he might get cancer from right. being near someone who's who knew someone that had cancer. Right, and like he, so he would he would do things like pee on the wall or on the door and other things like that. He was sitting in his own kind of stuff, his own stuff that came out of himself. That didn't even even stuff we know like. Uh, wow, if you pee on a wall, that could create a lot of bacterial issues. To him, that didn't bother him. Mm-hmm. I don't get that. Clean what about, is clean, what about, you know? What about back contamination? Guano? <laughs> back. Oh, back contamination. Yeah, like, like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. But um, that's, when you said the thing about the amoeba, mm. um, I was wondering if it's because the pot maybe isn't, you know, sanitary. No, no, it doesn't have to do with the pot. It's, it's about the, the amoeba potentially being in the water supply. I don't like thinking about this stuff. I don't like thinking about toothbrushes. I don't like thinking about sponges. Because here's here's the difference between us. This is the only way we differ. It's the only difference that's single, single difference is I think you are you are predisposed. It seems to me to think about these things and and have and have concern about them. It seems to me because and that's part of what keeps you so healthy and, and successful. Right, Whereas so healthy. Me, 
I'm very, very unlikely to think about it at all until I think about it. Yeah. Then I'm back in the medieval village. Yeah. I think, I think that that, with the toothbrush. Well, like when you think about something, I think it's worse than when I think about it, but I think about stuff more than you. That's a great way to put it. Yeah. Now, Now, what about oil pulling? Are you doing oil pulling? The latest sensation? Oil pulling. Oil pulling. Oil pulling. Oil pulling. This is uh, the latest, uh, you know, one, one of the recent um, buzz things. That is I this? Think oh, that, that th- is this the thing that Gwyneth Paltrow is doing? I think Gwyneth Paltrow does it. I want to look into it. Then I've seen her name in headlines related to oil pulling. And uh, you take an oil. Usually, I think you take uh, the coconut or a uh, sesame oil, and you swish it hygienically in your mouth for twenty minutes, no more, no less, and you spit it out, and it takes out all the toxins, and you don't have cancer anymore. I'll do this. Um, I will do this. You know, I, I'm no, I am um, friend of the show. John Roderick got me into hydrogen peroxide, and I never look back. I could wait. Just say, what are you doing with it? Oh, brother, there's nothing you can't do with hydrogen peroxide. It's powerful, powerful stuff. It's great as a mouthwash. You can use it to make your head stop itching. Uh, you can pour it all, all over your body and it kind of, kind of makes it sizzle a little bit. The thing that concerns me is that... It's, it, it, Dan, it's, it's got a debriding agent. People, I think, see you as a guru of sorts. Understandably. And I think when they hear this kind of thing, this it may lead them to want to try it or want okay. to... There's a certain responsibility I think you have as as a, a leader. As a make-believe guru. I, I take that seriously. Uh, I read... Uh, four or part of four articles about oil pulling this morning because it sounded like one of those <laughs> things that was almost yeah. almost certainly BS but had an appeal and I think that's the key to these kinds of things like ear candling like there's something about it that sounds really appealing the thing you buy at Walgreens that, that pulls the toxins out of your feet it's one of those things where you go like this is just so crazy it probably works and obviously you know it probably doesn't so uh, yeah I went and read and then I went to Snopes and Snopes says no there's really not much evidence to say this does anything well, it's not like it could hurt you well, turns out uh, it is believed that you could get a kind of pneumonia if you accidentally swallow that because of the toxins. But then it is pulling out toxins. This is oil pulling. But I'm telling you. But I'm, I'm saying if, it, so. If 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 they can't say that it doesn't pull out toxins, if swallowing the oil which has the toxins in it can give you pneumonia. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Um, you know what I mean? I, I, yes. Like yes. they're 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 disproving their own proof. Hmm. You like Leibniz. I would use coconut oil. Yeah, I love coconut oil. It's been kind of banned from cooking in our house because when I first started getting pseudo paleo, I went a little overboard with it, and everything tasted like coconut. <laughs> we got a tub of it. I just, I just, I just swather it all over me. Swather a word. It is now. I'm a guru. Slather. Hi. Slather. Um, but anyway, I the hydrogen peroxide. I don't think I can't say I'm not a doctor, as you know, Dan. But I don't think you're going to see deleterious effects from this. And what you will feel is very, very fresh. I think as part of of your daily oral regimen, it's it's a nice way to go. You add this to your brushing and flossing, and you're going to be a happy fella because you get that little sizzle. You know it's working. You know, like when you're a little kid and they give you those uh, give you the pills that make your uh, teeth turn red to show you what a bad person you are. Oh gosh, that was always my favorite day of school. Yeah, that's that's when you that's when you like. Found I would if if you yeah. I would almost sometimes I would just not brush that morning, just to see <laughs> if how bad it could be. It you know really- what I'm talking? What is that called? Well, I don't know what it, we should look it up. I'll, I'll I'll vamp for a minute while you look it up. But yeah. what it, in part of uh, now you have to understand um, Cincinnati, Ohio, a very oral city. 
I uh, we had fluoride <laughs> in our water. We had um, uh, Larry Flint was based there, and uh, and so you learned a lot about things like toothbrushing. And what they would do is the dental people would come into the elementary school, and you get this little clear packet with like if memory serves one or two like little red pills that looked like you know the size of a mint. And you chew these pills up, and I don't know how it works, but if you've got plaque on your teeth, all the plaque everywhere where there's plaque, it gets super red. And it, it's a kind again back to the medieval village. It's a form of public shaming and personal shaming. It's a way of making sure that you understand what what a bad, dirty mouth little boy you are. Yes, uh, so it's fun. It was so fun. These things are called. This is there is a name for these okay. plaque disclosing tablets. Okay, so you the, these things are sort of a pinkish red. And here's what's awesome is that you can buy these. They're not cheap. They got them on Amazon. They're on Amazon. And the the ones I'm looking at are by Flents. I'll put these into the show notes. You can buy a... a you can also get them from Plaque Search with a Q Plaque. for legal reasons. Plaque Search. Plaque Search. Plaque Search. Well, I think people, I think people should get in, into this and buy some of these. Yeah, you don't really have enough to worry about with your health. You know what? I'm gonna get. You know what? I'm gonna get some of these for my kid because my well, my two year old won't brush really at all. She just likes to chew on the toothbrush with the toothpaste on it. But now that Cash is getting real teeth, like I think it's starting to count more. And he'll brush. I'm like, dude, you didn't brush. You didn't do anything. Yeah, You're like yeah, I did. They'll walk away. I'm like, no, you didn't. No, you didn't. Her, our daughter now, um, she's learned a word. That she uses kind of correctly, but now it's become a word in parlance in the house, which she says, she'll say to us, we'll say, you got to do a thing or it's time to do a thing. And she'll say, let's make a compromise. And when she says, let's make a compromise, it really means that she wants to do it some way that's really squirrely, plus maybe get some food out of it. And she thinks she's doing a deal. Hmm. But the latest one is that she brings her beanbag chair into the bathroom and she puts it on the floor and puts her feet up on the bathtub and brushes her teeth supine. And the thing is, she'll do oh. it. She'll brush her teeth. It's a good opportunity for uh, you to take to tell me about something that you like. I would love to tell you about something that 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 I like here. It's a little it's a little something called Squarespace. You know, I've got a call with uh, with Ryan coming up. He said Friday morning he wants to tell me about something uh, secret. And we used to talk about how little Ryan over at Squarespace would call us, and he he and I gave him a hard time about this again when he was here uh, a couple a week ago. He'd call. He'd send an email, and he'd be like, "Guys, uh, we really need to talk." Uh, that would be the whole email. He drives me nuts with this. The whole email, and it'd be like, "That can't be good, right?" So you'd start stressing. You start stressing. You'd write him back. Uh, great. Well, I'm available this time. Anything I can prep for? Oh, know I got about a story about this? And he'll say, "Nope, nope. Just, just, just want to talk. Just a lot of things to talk to you about." Has he never had a, a partner? You never say we need to talk. <laughs> right. What kind, of, what kind of language is that in a man his age? Well, need to talk. So we, we would talk and every time he'd be like, oh, the shows are doing great. We love it. Everything's good. And I'd say, well, no, why did man, I just wanted to tell you like you're one of our most successful. We love working with you. <laughs> like, we love working with you too. Yeah. Just take those calls laying down. Yeah. Well, anyway, that he's one of the folks at Squarespace, and they they are they are uh, so many really really super cool, super talented folks over there, and they do so much to support our shows and 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 podcasting in general. 
Uh, they really do a great job and they want you to use their platform. That's why they do it. But they have a really, really great platform. It doesn't matter what kind of website you want to build. It could be simple landing page. It could be uh, your portfolio. It could be a gallery. It could be your resume. It could be your, your whole business. Um, you know, we, we use them here for the blog. We use them. I use them for the bacon method thing. Merlin uses the heck out of them. Uh, you can really do anything in the whole world. I was telling you a, a couple of weeks ago, Merlin, my mom is now on Squarespace. So the, the Eagle has landed. Making money like a doorknob in a wet sweater. You would be with their online writing. shocked. Mm-hmm. 10% off is, uh, is what they're going to give you. 10% off. If you use the code, <laughs> They're still using it. I love this. Your show, Y O U R S H O W. So you go over to Squarespace, and uh, and when you sign up, it'll get ten percent off of whatever it is that you do over there. Your show. No, you don't have to pay to start seeing if you want to like them. There's a lot of people who've got years and years of content in other systems. They will import that content for you. It's all automated, and uh, and then for eight bucks a month which includes a domain name. If you sign up for a year, you're going to be up and running with them. You don't have to worry about hosting or DOS attacks or any of that stuff. They do everything for you. And if you're a, a producer of music, you make music, you're a band, they'll host all that for you. They've got a built-in player. If you're a podcaster, it's a great place to, to put your stuff. And, uh, and if you're like Merlin and you just want to put up pictures of, uh, you know, of comics, then you could do that. So go check it out. Squarespace.com, the code to use your show, 10% off. Thanks very much to Squarespace for making this show back to work possible. Dan Benjamin. <laughs> I had a call with somebody uh, the other day, and it, it was like a Squarespace commercial. It was pretty funny because they were like, well, you know, I got somebody working on putting together a blog for us. I was like, well, you know, you can do that over at Squarespace. And they're like, yeah, I should probably look at Squarespace. That's pretty good. But, you know, the thing is, I also got and somebody else working on putting a store. This is an actual anecdote. Uh, I, I got somebody else working on, you know, putting a store together, They're looking at all there's open source things. There's, you know, things you can buy. I said, well, you know, you could do that on the same account with Squarespace. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, but we also want to do a podcast. And I was like, you're going to find this really surprising, but on that same account, you could also host a podcast. It's all included. So, I mean, it's, um, I don't know. You sort of, I mean, it may not be for everybody to use for, for their, for their, uh, production, uh, rollout startup, uh, net, net, mm-hmm. but, but man, you sure got to look at this thing and you got to, I think you should, it's, it's one of those products that I'm going to stop talking about now, but it's so great. Big fan. Big fan. <clears throat> is it possible to not have something show up if you're using plaque disclosing tablets? Like, is there anyone who walks out of there with the, just white teeth? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what you do Besides is... Besides your you, kid. Well, you should, as you know from cash, probably, you're supposed to get a, a letter or a phone call when they're, when they're doing this. Uh, like, you know, at least, I think, five business slash school days before the disclosing. And so what you do is you go in and you sign a plaque non-disclosing agreement. Mm. And what they'll do is they will give you a, um, it's a, it's kind of, a, it's like a blank. It's just, it's just candy. They just give them candy. And no matter what, your kid won't have plaque. So it's also, it's nice to make a little donation to the PTA. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. We got green eggs and ham this week. They're putting on a show this week. I'm pretty excited. You mean like they're they're acting in that? Yeah, it's like they're, they're doing a musical version of Green Eggs and Ham. They're putting on for no. the school. Yeah, I'm pretty excited. Pretty excited. Wow. As like I mentioned last time, there's been a lot of cast shakeups. A lot of, mainly, well, it's ma- a, mainly involving it's hard to stand still at a rehearsal several times a week. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But I'm excited about that. Yeah, I don't know. It's weird. Um, it's, 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 you know, I have to say, um, 
uh, I don't like spend the day at the school, obviously, but I'm kind of surprised sometimes how much more elementary school is like I remember. I, I guess I sometimes think it's going to be like the Jetsons and they're going to be in space pods with, you know, robot teachers or something. But it is really very, very much like like when I went to school. Do, do you find that? Not. Uh, no. No. What's different for you? Well, really the way the school uh, looks, feels, operates, uh, what they teach and how they teach it and the children. <laughs> Apart from that. Nothing otherwise. <laughs> Everything seems different. I don't want to get you in trouble here. I, I think this is kind of interesting. I don't yeah. want to get you in trouble. No, they don't listen to this. God. Yeah. None of them listen to this. People they talk. Say whatever we want. Yeah. Anything I, you want. I think my cover, is, my cover is totally safe at this point. As far as them not picking up on... Well, like knowing like what I do and then I talk on the internet and stuff. Like they know like when you walk in there, they're like, oh, he's the guy that talks on the internet or... I don't want to sound glib, Dan, but I think if you're not on Facebook, you kind of don't exist for most people. School related, yeah. Just fine by me. Yeah, uh, that's our, that's my golden uh, ace in the hole. Golden ace in the hole. <laughs> mm, is it, it's a productive cough? <laughs> kind of. I mean, it go, comes and goes. Yeah. 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 So I was trying this morning when I woke up, I was trying to think of uh, a topic for us besides the superior, besides the Spider-Man team up, but I couldn't think of one. Do you know what I'm talking about? No, really? I have have a couple, I have a couple extremely general ones, but uh, you haven't heard about this Spider-Verse that Dan Slott just announced. No, you're not Mm -mm. really. I know you don't I, like I, Spider-Man, but... Do you? I love Spider-Man. What a very strange thing to say, Dan. You, well, if you like it, then how could you not know? Okay, at this point, please go and drop in the audio of you talking about taking every Spider-Man comic that you own and leaving it on the curb. You don't even want money for it. That was the amazing Spider-Man, but check this out. Uh, Marvel... <laughs> that was a stressful time for you. Marvel teased this thing, and then they let they let some images out. But here's what it is. This is their, air quotes, next big thing. Uh, Dan Slott, who is the uh, amazing Spider-Man writer, superior and amazing Spider-Man writer, uh, they release this preview art. And the story, which starts November of 2014, will feature, quote, every Spider-Man ever, including Spider-Man 2099, Peter Porker, the wow. spectacular Spider-Ham, and the original Scarlet Spider, among others. And obviously, Miles. Yes, and apparently, according according to Moises, both Mileses, both the Miles that is in the comic and on TV, and Morlan, the villain uh, that was created back in 2001, returning. This is called the Spider-Verse. It begins in Amazing Spider-Man number nine, and then there will be more titles coming out around this. This is every Spider-Man ever teaming up or fighting each other, Slot said, adding later that readers will definitely see some spider fights. Some won't get along. It's a Spider-Man story on a scale we have never seen before, epic in its scope. Are you happy about this? No. Okay, good. (laughs) All right. (laughs) No. uh, I like Dan Slot a lot. That's um, kind kind of uh, a weird Marvel idea. Yeah, it is. And, And it really in a similar way to why I wasn't crazy about Man of Steel, uh, it, it 
kind of defeats the whole purpose of why, like, why we love Spider-Man. Right. We love Spider-Man because he's alone. We, I feel like I feel so much empathy with Peter Parker because, you know, for whatever, over 50 years, he's been this, this troubled, happy-go-lucky, but troubled guy who is ultimately like really alone. And I mean, I guess you could still do that. I mean, you know, maybe that's just me. I mean, I haven't read in, in, even a fraction of the stuff that you've read, but what I always, what always resonates with me is that like, you know, whether he's trying to figure out how to make more web fluid or trying to, you know, get out of the, uh, that, that awesome issue where he's stuck under the water thing collapses oh, yeah. on him or like, or like just, you know, he's, his successes and his failures all get leveled by the fact that he is just stuck alone and feeling terribly guilty about what's happened in his life. And, and, you know, you can beat it to death, but I always thought that was part of what was really appealing about it. What, what do you think all of the Spider-Men, some of whom are fighting will do? Like, how does this, does this make a, a I don't know. Well, I don't, I mean, I don't know. Like, what is it that drives Peter Parker? I mean, part of it is this, the, the power and responsibility thing. Like Uncle Ben died because he wanted to be a pro wrestler and like, he's got to live that down forever. There's lots of other stuff, you know, something happened with a, with a lady friend of his. There's mm-hmm. all kinds of stuff that he's living down for, for the rest of his life. But the thing that Peter in, you know, even in fairly recent years, the thing that's always so fun and funny about Peter is how paranoid he is about his identity. Where in, um, is it, uh, is it the initiative? the one where he takes off his mask in front of Congress, you know, it's like, it's a pretty big deal. Cause it's hilariously famously, Peter's always out of money and worried that people will realize that Spider-Man is Peter Parker. Right. It's like the two things that, isn't that kind of fair to say? Like, yeah. it's like when Tony comes to him and offers him a job on the Avengers, he's like, great, I could use the money. He's like, there's no money. We don't have any money. Right. It's like typical Peter Parker, but I guess, I don't know. And but I guess maybe you'll play, they'll play into those issues of identity with having multiples of him. But I don't know. It's a simple, See, you know, the it, problem it, is that the setup. The, the, here's the problem, and I, I, I'm not going to say because I don't know. But it, the problem is, it sounds like a lot of what becomes a real silly thing in the Marvel universe, yeah. which just starts to kind of feel like they're out, out inexplicably, out of interesting ideas for what to do with these amazing characters, mm-hmm. and they need to come up with these blockbuster things that are going to put them in really improbable uh, uh, situations with lots of hitting and. And that's what it sounds like. I guess there could be lots of funny soul searching and like little lines and stuff. And Dan Slott is certainly a super talented guy, but I, I don't know. I, I think I just, I more and more, I just like comics that have a little story and, and the characters are great. I mean, it's one reason I like X-Men is I like the, the characters and their interaction are what really appeals to me in those comics and the fighting stuff that's fun about that spins out of their relationships and the fact that's the, the at least in the X-Men universe, I think they have some of the most interesting troubled people on both the good guy and bad guy side. And so they're like deciding like who's the good guy and the bad guy in the, in the X-Men universe has gotten complicated in the last, you know, 30 years. So I don't know. What's your take? Well, the, you know, this seems, and, and I've talked with Andy Nako on the Nako Almanac and a, a few other places about this is just that it's, you know, this seems like one of these, it's going to be epic. We're going to wind up destroying New York scenarios again, just like what happened with Spider Island. Now, Spider Island was actually pretty interesting, but there was just, it, it, it's just frustrating because I try and think about, you know, what, what, what do we need as readers of these things? Do we need an event like this or do we just need a really good storyline, you know, with really good art? I think that's, what we really need, what, what Marvel needs is sales, 
you know, the, all of these companies need sales. They have a big, amazing Spider-Man movie that they'll be coming out. So let's right. do something big around that. Well, but it comes out of events, movies, as mm-hmm. you say, like a franchise, cross franchise things, but also, you know, reboots, but also it's just these events where you've got these, you know, two page spreads with everybody who's ever appeared in the comic before. And you're, it's supposed to be like battle of the network stars with superpowers. And it's like, yeah, but you know, and then, <clears throat> and that'll lead you to have, you know, all these little tie in issues. And I guess it gives everybody a lot to do. I don't, you know, those people are way smarter than me when it comes to comics. So it, it might just be a matter of taste, but that's not increasingly that's not what appeals to me. Like when I when I read an old Spider-Man or an old Fantastic Four or any of those, like sometimes they're really campy, but there's something um, somewhat uh, kind of authentic about those characters. And you know, w- what is it that makes an interesting story is that somebody is presented with a seemingly impossible situation where they're going to have to reach deep into who they are in order to solve it. That's that's kind of what makes every story interesting in some ways. Is and then we figure out whether that person could overcome whatever seemingly impossible, <clears throat> excuse me, whatever seemingly impossible crisis they were thrust into. How do they deal with that? And then that that's the story. And if you're doing that with like you know eight different characters at the same time, that just I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I feel, I feel like it's. <clears throat> It's getting weirder out there. And again, this is why we turn to like independent comics, I think, so much now. Yeah. And it's strange because, like, yes, I agree. Because in thinking about that, like, you think about in TV how frustrating it can be sometimes to get into a show. We talked about this with, you know, True Detective versus Lost or whatever. Like, where you're like, you know, I can't even imagine, you know, what kind of sausage making process a story has to go through to get from like a conception on a napkin to like a third season. I, I would never in a million years want that job. That yeah. seems really, and, and especially in a non, it's gotta be hard, it's hard enough in a comedy, but you know, in a, in a drama series with, you know, high stakes and everything today has always got to be high stakes. Uh, that's, that's, that's a lot of responsibility, but you know, they do think these things out. They do know months and months into the future, they have those little offsite summits where they all go and hang out and talk about these kinds yeah. of things. And so I think in a lot of cases, they know the, probably with less and less specificity, but they pretty well know what's going to happen in the next, next six months. And I bet in some ways they have to know with movies and stuff, like what's going to be happening in the next couple of years, even yeah. at least in, in rough terms. And I, I don't know, sometimes I just don't, I don't feel that on the page. I don't, I don't feel like, you know, again, always to beat it to death, but like something like Hawkeye, I really feel like, you know, those guys know where that's going. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, you know what I mean? And, but then again, I mean, I look at something, I look at something like She-Hulk, and something that Dan Slott once did actually to uh, to great acclaim. Uh, but the new She-Hulk is really funny because it's, it's just it's it, She-Hulk is such a great character because like the three runs of She-Hulk that I've seen, um, John Byrne very silly, Dan Slott very funny, and the new one by it's escaping me who's writing it right now. But um, it's it, it's what makes She-Hulk fun, which is like she's this she's this giant super strong lawyer. Right, and part of what makes She-Hulk really funny is stuff that you know, again, along the lines of Hawkeye, is like the stuff that she has to deal with with, with starting her own um, law firm and like having to hire an assistant, and a woman comes in with her pet monkey, and like it, for, <laughs> I find that completely delightful. And at the end of it, I close it and I go, "That was that was awesome. I finished this, and it was really fun." Instead of like, I, you feel like sometimes you open it up and it's like the Illuminati were meeting Anuatu's skull, and there was like, and you're like, "Oh God, does everything have to be?" that sweeping mm-hmm. I yeah, think global. It's something that's happened global 
But you know, it's something that a lot of people have talked about how, whether it's comics or movies or whatever, or TV, it's, it's, it, there's something kind of neat about a story where the stakes are not everything. You know, it just, it's so often the entire, if you think about how many things that, that are out there in, in media, especially in action stuff, how much stuff since probably the seventies, definitely the eighties has turned on the fate of the country, the earth, or potentially the universe. Right. You know, and so Gal- Galactus played well is pretty funny. Like that could be pretty fun, not funny, but Galactus can be very fun. And like, you know, the whole thing with the Silver Surfer, like that was all, all pretty great. But, and, but Fantastic Four was always like that. Fantastic Four was always like they fight the really big right, guys. Right. That, that, you, you tuned into that because you kind of liked superheroes and sci fi and really epic stuff where the universe was always sort of hanging in the balance. Yeah. And those big walloping fights are, are, are Spider Man's really the opposite of that. It's about one guy who's not quite powerful enough to you know, save the earth on a regular basis, but he can stop the bank robbery from happening. Right. But that was interesting because it was about a guy and not, it wasn't, it wasn't so much about his powers as much as it was about uh, him as a, as a, as a person. Right. Absolutely. Well, most of us would think, oh, if I had those powers, I would use them like A, B, C, and D. Well, you know, Peter Parker did use his powers like that and it ruined his life. Right. Like make sure you go back and read that one because that's kind of an important issue. Um, you know, readers and listeners, but you know, in, in the case of think about something like the Incredibles and what makes the Incredibles such a fun movie is that they have obviously, um, with, with much affection borrowed a lot of characters from the Marvel and DC mm-hmm. universes in particular. So, so that you can actually kind of say like down to like, Oh, this is this character meets that character. But even like Bob Parr on the way to getting married, like can't stop himself from going out and like getting a cat out of a tree. Right. Because he's got, he's, he's got enough time. He's got, I <laughs> got time, <laughs> but you know, maybe it's out of pride. Maybe it's out of obligation, but that's what makes Peter Parker so great is that, you know, he, in order, in order to like, you know, get paid, he's got to go get these photos, but then something happens and he has to go and I, I assume it's still like this today, but the Spider-Mans I've read in the past that I love is that he's always fighting the, you know, this internal thing where he's like, oh, I know I got to go do this thing, but I got to go do this thing. And I think anybody can relate to that. You know what I mean? And I don't know. It's just when the stakes get too big, it, it gets, it gets sort of preposterous. Yeah. And then, you know, and I, I just have to say, also, I'm like, I'm so, I really am just so burnt out. Even when it's done well, I'm getting really burnt out on multiples and universes. And I know this has been a long standing thing, especially, well, I say, especially Marvel, but I guess DC's had it worse in the past, but the, the many, many universes and the different versions and like, like go go read the Wikipedia entry for like Valeria uh, Richards or for like Magneto or for like Spider Woman. It's like by the time you're through it, you're like I, I feel like I feel like I'm tripping. So wait, she was a scroll then, and Valeria. Well, wait a minute. So wait, Scott Lang died, but his daughter who was dead hugged him and saved him, but then she died. But it was Jack of hearts and then he comes back and he's a zombie and he explodes the avengers mansion yeah that's what happened <laughs> let me tell you about something i like it's new relic if you've got a web or mobile application you you need to know about these guys they are doing such great great stuff they are the developers best they're merlin's best friend because it's easy 
to use these guys. What do they do? They give you this amazing analytics dashboard that's going to give you powerful code level visibility into real-time performance and applications. What does that mean? That means if you're building a web application, if you're doing something, it doesn't really even matter what platform you're using. I mean, these guys got their start with Rails, but pretty much any development language, they are going to be able to support this. You can also tie this into your iOS apps, any kind of app that you're building. They're going to let you see how your app is performing real time. So if you've got a bottleneck, if you've got a problem, if there's a bug, you're going to see it with these beautiful, you've got to go to newrelic.com just to look at the kind of data and reporting and everything that they give you. It's beautiful and it really, really does work. That's the best part of it. Uh, lightweight agent that plugs in. If in the case of a Rails application, you install the gem, they give you a little uh, YAML file to download. That's it. You've configured and installed New Relic. You don't have to write code. And that's pretty much true across the board for all of this. You don't have to write code to integrate their reporting into your app. You just copy the config file over and, and you go. So check out New Relic. Here's what you, what you need to do. There's a special URL, newrelic.com slash back to work spelled out. You will learn more there. And then there's going to be a 30-day extended free pro trial. That's their, their big boy package. So go check that out. Newrelic.com slash back to work. You're going to make better apps. You're going to get deeper insights. You're going to find all the problems with New Relic. Go check them out. Newrelic.com slash back to work. They're a good sponsor. Ah, you're good at this, Dan. You are good. Got a headache from this sinus thing. Uh, It's the worst. Trying to drink. I'm trying to hydrate. Mm. Trying to drink water. I feel like I'm, I'm getting progressively more sinusy as the show continues. It should also take culturel. 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 It's a probiotic. Well, I make, take a lot. This, I take a lot of probiotics. Wow. Makes every makes every morning Christmas. <laughs> I do. I take tons of pro, the kind of probiotics I'm on. Boy, you can't even find <laughs> probiotic like that. You don't. You don't sit on it once. Uh, uh, mm, hmm. <laughs> um. Something from a the others listener. you couldn't even. <laughs> Watch what is it? Watch the wall with the Watch rock. Watch the wall with the rock. <clears throat> uh, two things. Something from a listener. Uh, I don't have anything too much on these. But. <laughs> hmm. I worry. I worry, Dan. I, wor- I, wor- I worry. I worry. I worry. I don't want to put people off with the too many sound bites. Well. You know, just the whole thing. We'll do one every 30 minutes. I think people would like the show so much more if we didn't do it. If we didn't do the show? They would love it. They would love the show. If we stopped doing the show... Oh my God, it would be huge. That would be... The, that's how we can drive the show up in the ratings and reviews is by not doing it. Yeah, it's like Jimi Hendrix. Right. right. Exactly. Like I could barely play guitar and then look, he dies and then all of a sudden yeah. he's a hero. Yeah, now everybody's listening to Light My Fire. Yeah. Yeah. Um... Uh, somebody wrote to us. Uh, I don't know if I want to get too far into this. I got two things. First one was uh, competence versus confidence, which I thought was kind of interesting. Did you see that one? No, let that bring me up to speed on that one. Oh, it was an email uh, from somebody. I think it was a physician talking about how you're taught to be uh, to have competence over confidence that you don't want to mm. getting too confident. Oh, that was right, kind of right, right. Yeah, let's hit that one. That's one. And the the other one uh, that I that I'm, I'm maybe slightly more interested in, but less clear about is curiosity. I've been talking to, uh, 
so I'm doing a, a gig somewhere where I'm going to be doing a talk, and it's kind of going to be a combination of the future-proofing your passion talk meets the time and attention talk meets something, something, something else. And um, we've been trying to figure out how to put a spin on this. We're talking to like a group of developers. How do you talk a gr- to a group of developers who are you know sort of mostly intermediate to advanced, you know, about expertise? And I, I, I'm starting to think about the idea of curiosity. Hmm. So those are my two things. We got competence versus confidence, which I think is pretty good. Yeah. And we got curiosity or Spider-Man. Well, curiosity is something <clears throat> that I remember, you know, back in, in college time period for me, like lear- just the, the whole concept of learning about computers. Like I've been using computers technically since I was like 11, but there were, I knew, especially in college, that there was so much to learn and there was so much that I didn't know. And to, to give you an idea of the way that I would spend my copious free time in college, a, a lot of it was spent learning what was in the System 32 folder. Like, what are these things? Like, little things like that, the curiosity of wondering, how does that work? Right. Why does it work the way that it does? How do other things work? Those questions, I think, are what defines... The back in those days, if you said, oh, that that person is a hacker, it had a negative connotation. Hacking meant you were illegally breaking into systems the way you would in war games. That's what a hacker meant. Now hacker has a very positive connotation. Uh, Facebook famously using it to refer to uh, people who come up with really ingenious solutions. People who their, their new language is called hack. Hacking now has a positive connotation. To me, what, what I think they're really all trying to describe is curiosity, is wh- why would I choose to look inside of the folders on a Windows system instead of just watching TV like most of the guys that I knew uh, that my friends were doing, you know, watching TV and smoking things. For me, it was because I was curious about it. And there are so many things that I think if you were to trace back and, and, and another way that you and I are identical is that I think if you were to look at our individual tracks that we've taken, there are so many times when the only reason that I got that job or made that move or or did that decision was because of the time that I spent just learning about that thing for my own, because I was curious about it and not because I needed it for a job, not because uh, my friend told me to do it, simply because I was curious and I wanted to know for no darn good reason, except I just felt like learning that. And then it paid off later. Yeah. And, um, at the time you were going, spending your Saturday evenings looking through a folder on a computer, excuse me, directory. There, there must've been times when you thought to yourself, you know, this is really weird antisocial behavior. Like I don't need to be doing this. This isn't for school. It's not for fun. It's not like, you know what I mean? There, there's, there's times where there's so many little kinds of things we pick up along the way where from following our nose that can actually, I, I think can make us feel like guilty or nerdy or simple. Like what, you know, why would you, why would you take apart a radio to see how it works? Like, cause you know, when you take it apart, there's, so, there's always the chance you won't be able to put it back together and right. now you won't have a radio anymore. Or you know, do you know what I mean? But there's something something <clears throat> to curiosity. I, I, I want to. I'll tell you more about what, why this interests me in a second. But to your point, um, there's there's something um, 
like if if you're really good in school and you do the assignments, and I'm, I don't mean to sound disparaging, but like if you're doing really well in school, you're getting getting A minuses, you're turning your stuff in, you get you know, and you're you're being a good student. Um, that means you're hewing to the curriculum, which is good. You're not getting too quote unquote creative about it, but in some ways, it is in a way that you may not realize until a lot later, like almost like strangely backward looking because you're learning what people have told you to learn. And, and, you know, thank God we have curricula. We have things where people can tell us like, you need to learn, you know, you need to learn this in biology before mm-hmm. you learn that in mm-hmm. biology, before you learn that in biology. Like no way there's like, there's these courses you've heard about. Don't even worry about those until you've done these other courses. You can't take algebra two until you've taken algebra one. Right. That's sensible. You got to do the work. You got to put in the hours and get your assignments done and all that stuff. But, you know, I think that for some people, um, I don't know. I, I feel like curiosity is it starts out as this almost like a, I don't know how to put it. it. It's like a little private perverted thing that you do. Like, why would you take apart a radio? Right. Why would you look at a folder? Like, what a strange thing, to, to, what an odd thing that would be for you to do. In my case, like, why are you reading an almanac? Like, that's, shouldn't you be outside getting some fresh air and, and playing Uber ball? Like, what are you, what are you doing in here? And, um, but what's, and let me just pivot, as you say. So, you know, this, this fellow and I, in talking about what I'm going to be uh, saying to his folks there, he's a, a friend of mine who's also very interested in, in these issues of expertise. So, you know, and, and the Dreyfus model and things like that. And I was just trying to figure out, like, what it is. If you think about, again, we talked about this last week, the idea of how you get competent at something to where you, like, you know you're competent at it, right. but you know how competent you are, and, like, how much harder that is than it really seems like. Because if you're not, if you haven't been exposed to solving a certain problem or failing at solving a problem enough times, it's probably difficult to know whether whether or that you are that good at it. But I, the more I think about expertise, though, I also think about curiosity, because the curiosity is this part of you that not only thinks that there's always something more out there, it on the strength you believe that there's stuff out there that might be interesting or useful or weird, or you just want to learn it. You don't even have a reason why you want to learn it. And, and I keep repeating this because, but the thing is, I think that's what keeps a lot of people from doing other things. Why would I need to know that? Why would I need to memorize that? Why would I do that? Well, a lot of people do that because they're curious. And so I, I think even at a lot of those levels of expertise, the thing that keeps you moving forward is a, is a, is a basic kind of curiosity. It could be the kind of curiosity that got you into that domain in the first place. And, and you're, and you're, you know, you jumped into that story at the point when you're in college. But like you say, they, that came after some years of right. tinkering with computers in various ways. And you know, it may not have occurred to you on day one, you know, to go in and equivalently take the radio apart. But at some point, that that became appealing to you. And the thing that's so wonderful and weird and ineffable about curiosity is that the more you use it, the more you can use it. Because the more new stuff you learn about that doesn't seem germane to what you do or what you need to know or what you need to accomplish, the more that stuff you learn, uh, the more the more you uh, consequently learn about. So you're making these leaps by just p- kind of pulling together these little bits of string, right? I'm not saying you have to be like a crazy person who's just like, you know, learning a, you know the first 1% of everything in the world. But you may not learn about some pretty afield and interesting stuff until you've prodded around in these areas that you don't need to know about. Otherwise, right. how would you ever even learn about them? So I guess I, I'm saying, I, th- I think this is interesting in expertise because at the bottom levels, you have to have a certain kind of humility 
about realizing that you have more to learn. Like, my, like I said with my daughter thinking she doesn't need to watch Cosmos because she already at six knows quote unquote everything there is to know about <laughs> molecules. <laughs> right. <laughs> but <laughs> she really likes the cartoon characters. But um, she, her review of episode three was thumbs down. She thought it was really boring. I mm. liked it. It was, it was pretty talky. But, but then I guess when you get to the higher levels of expertise, the higher up you get, that, that, as with all this stuff, that's where this stuff gets so interesting. Because, you know, how, you know, that old phrase from Stephen Covey, like, how do you, at what point do you know that your ladder is still against the right wall? Like, you may be climbing the corporate ladder. In other words, that's kind of mangling two analogies, but I think it's pretty, a cr- pretty great way to put it. Like, if you, you know, if you're climbing the ladder in your job and you're moving up rung by rung, year by year, pay grade by pay grade, office square footage by office square footage, and you keep moving up, but like, what if you get to the top and realize that it was never where you wanted to be? Because you were so busy thinking about what the next rung was. Well, that's an instance of, again, to quote, to um, credit Stephen Covey, you're not having your ladder against the right wall. Well, that's what curiosity is. Curiosity is more than saying, <clears throat> what do I need to know to go to the next rung? It's saying, like, how do I even know that I'm in the right domain, asking the right questions about the right problems? And how do I know to trust the kind of information I'm getting? And I think, I mean... The spoiler, I think, in some ways is that there are some people who always have that curiosity to the point of being incredibly annoying in some cases. Like, why, 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 why? You know, what more can I learn about this? This is like that. I want to learn more about that now. So, and I just, I guess I wonder sometimes whether that's something that's just either have it or you don't. And I really wonder about how much staying lively and alert and just tuned in has to do with finding ways to stay curious and making sure that you make time to do unnecessary things. Unnecessary things. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because I remember at the time I didn't really know, uh, I didn't really know what I was doing it for. You know, that's just one of many, 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 many examples. Like it wasn't like I was sitting there with some kind of omniscience, uh, thinking, Oh, I'll need this one day. This will pay off one day. And like the first job that I got running, you know, an IT group, I was like, yeah, this is because I opened up all those folders. It wasn't like that. I just wanted to know. And like, I almost felt like it, I don't want to say it was a compulsion, but it was closer to a compulsion for me than it, than it was to an interest. Mm -hmm. An interest was like, yeah, I would like to watch that movie again. Uh, A compulsion was like, Right, but I don't know how this works completely yet. So this is like an unanswered problem, and I don't know anyone who knows the answer, and there's no book about it, and there is no internet yet, Right. so I better keep looking at this. Well, yeah, and the, the internet thing it is infuri- It would infuriate me to know that there were people that knew this stuff, and that what I wanted to know was both A, knowable, and, and B, incredibly difficult to, to find. I remember back in the, the Commodore 64, there used to be, when you're writing software, there are these peak and poke statements. And so many of the applications, well, applications, listen to me, so many of the programs that they had back then uh, were, were you, you, you know, they were, there was source code, but you couldn't list the source code. You couldn't list the program. When you would type list, you would get garbled stuff on the screen or you would get invisible characters or other things like that. The reason why they were putting little peek and poke statements in their source code that made it so that you could not list 
their program, among other things, list the source code of it. Now, I know there was machine compiled code and things like that too, but even the stuff that was written in basic, you couldn't see because of that. Well, why, why wasn't there a chart of these? Why couldn't I use them? Why couldn't, you know, why wasn't it accessible to me? Uh, you know, and, and I feel like there were always these kids. I remember this, this one kid's house who went over for his birthday party and, uh, and I must've been like eight or nine years old. And it's the one time that I really remember being jealous in my whole life was we went over this kid's house and he had a big party and his parents, uh, he, they, they had some kind of video camera and like part of what we did at the party was making a, a movie the way that an eight or nine year old would orchestrate his friends into making a movie. Uh, but you know, it was really easy to make someone teleport because like you would hold the camera still and the kids would run in and then they'd hit the button and then you just hit the button to stop recording it. They would run off camera and then you'd hit the button to start recording again. And it would look like they just vanished when you played it back, you know, like all of the stuff that he did now, uh, we didn't have enough money to get a video camera. That's not what I was jealous about. I was jealous at the fact that like his parents took the time to, and had the time not only to have a video camera, but for him to like spend time with him to learn all of this cool stuff. And I remember thinking, my gosh, this kid is so advanced, you know, has this, this huge advantage because his parents had provided him with this, even though it was just a funny little platform to make movies and who knows if he ever went on and did anything with it, like that resource was there for him and he wasn't even very appreciative of it. This was just the kind of crap he did on his birthday. And I was like, my God, if I had a video camera, imagine how excited and great. I mean, cause I already had like eight, nine, 10 films written at that time. And was this like one of those, like a Pixel Vision, like a Fisher Price camera? No, this was a this was a real like home, you know, Betamax like type handy cam. Yeah, like this was a real. This was not a kid thing. This was what his parents had, and they were well off. And I just remember thinking, like, wow, th- this is this is amazing. This kid has it. He doesn't even care about it. And it took me seven or eight years before I was able to afford my own video camera. And it, it just, it's one of those things that's like, you know, the, the curiosity and the interest that I had was so strong. And I see this time and time again, where there, where there's people who they're in a situation where they have that kind of infrastructure there. They have that kind of platform and they, and they don't use it. And then there's other people who don't have like anything and they, they don't get that opportunity. And it's, it's the, that's kind of, I think when I think back about that feeling of curiosity of trying to figure things out, like why I wanted to do that and listening to what you were talking about, like that for me, that was always a big part of the motivation is like, what do I have? Well, mm-hmm. I have this, so I'm going to, I'm going to learn everything I can about it. This is all I've got. You know, there is no, I didn't know there wasn't an internet that I couldn't Google what a peak and poke statement for a Commodore 64 would be that would make the, you know, obscure the lines of the program that I wrote for, because, you know, I thought that was cool. There wasn't a way to find that out. And I'm not talking about whatever the, the name for this phenomenon is where everybody has all the answers at their fingertips right now. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about just the the concept of really of really wanting to know why things are or how things work. And Mm -hmm. the motivation behind that, I think is different for everybody. 
But for me, there was that big part of it of I'm going, I'm going to dry up every single resource that I have available to me and learn everything about it in those areas that interest me until there's no more to learn because this is all I've got right now to, to learn about. There was no internet. I couldn't spend eight hours learning about, you know, uh, spider girl's history, you know, now I can, Mm -hmm. now I can. Um, but I think the motivation changes with, because of what you like to talk about and refer to as scarcity. Yeah. And, and you can become very curious about fairly, when I say taking apart the radio, it could be very mundane things where maybe you're just bored and you could, you could, you know, end up reading a book that you just happened to be around and had access to. Right. But I think you're, you're onto something with the video camera thing. I guess scarcity or, or lack of resources could be part of it. But, um, the other thing that keeps us, that can keep us less curious is something that I will, excuse me, very generally call authority. And I don't mean authority in terms of someone overtly telling you not to learn new things, but authority in the sense of expecting, um, I think it's one thing to, when you're going through elementary school, middle school, high school, it's one, you know, it's one thing to expect that people will give you a curriculum and a syllabus that, that you will be able to follow and understand. Say, by the end of the year, you'll be able to do these things. These are what you'll be tested on. I mean, often you've heard that. This is what's going to be on the test. So you know that there's somebody there. You've got to go to school every day, and you've got to follow these rules. So it kind of behooves you to at least know what rules you're breaking along right, the way. Right. But, you know, it's... Um, I hope this isn't a straw man. But, I mean, it, coming up in a system like that, there's. I don't think there's any guarantee, mostly, that curiosity is a natural byproduct of a system like that mm. uh, or creativity and curiosity. I mean, it could be, it certainly happens. There are people who are just naturally very restless and, and, and want to learn things, but there's one thing that nobody can do. Uh, nobody else really can do in an effective way, especially at scale, which is to tell you what things are out there. You don't know about that. You should be curious about. That it really comes from within. You can be, as they say, inspired. In that case, you could go to that birthday party and feel a certain sense of envy about what that kid had access to and what you would do with it. But, and that might, and on some level, it sounds like that did inspire you to, in time, get a video camera and, and do RTV and stuff like that. But, you know, I, it's, it's why I, I it's, it's almost like, um, it's one of those nature nurture things in some ways where I, I guess I wonder though, I think in some ways scarcity can make you extremely creative. Because, and maybe you already said this, but, but when you, when you don't have something like an iPhone, like if you have an iPhone, if you can't figure out what to do with an iPhone, <laughs> that, that's pretty uncreative. Cause there's always something you could go make a song. You could make a video. Uh, you know, it isn't just Facebook on there, guys. There's lots of stuff you could do with an iPhone that is pretty amazing. Um, or whatever your OS, you know, portable devices. But, but that's, but I guess what I'm trying to say is that like it's, in order for curiosity to be about things that are interesting, they do on the face of it have to be about things you don't know exist yet. That's what makes a curiosity rather than just expanding on a current interest. So if you say, well, I know these first three Encyclopedia Brown books seem pretty good. I can guess by extension that I'll probably enjoy the seventh book. You know, that's not exactly the same thing as saying like, well, actually I'm going to go learn more about the detective genre or, um, I'm going to learn how to start a small business in my garage, uh, my own detective agency or, 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 or whatever. But that's, that's the tricky part about curiosity is that 
in a world where something like authority is around to tell us what we need to know, and again, I'm really not trying to over-dramatize that. I'm not trying to say that people are preventing you from finding things, but <clears throat> there really isn't much of an excuse today. Whereas we just watched that Cosmos, the third Cosmos last night, about, um, you know, I had, I had no idea Edmund Halley was such an interesting character. Have you watched this episode yet? Uh, it's kind of, it's about pattern recognition and mm, Halley's Comet. No, and no, no, I have not. All the kind of politics between not Hook, Hook and Wren and Newton <clears throat> and uh, Halley. Anyway, I, I thought it was a really interesting uh, um, episode. And it, it's basically how the, how's it pronounced? The Principia? Like whatever the Newton's, you know, big book <laughs> about physics, like how it got made essentially. And uh, just crazy stuff like the fact that like they weren't going to be able to publish it because the, they'd lost their shirt on the history of fish. And they, they had to pay on this book called The History of Fish that they couldn't sell. So they like they had to pay Edmund Halley in copies of The History of Fish. It's a very it's a fascinating story. Mm-hmm. But it was all the stuff that Newton was able to come up with that allowed Halley to take he took that information as as they say in the in the story. There was no Google at the time. You couldn't go somewhere to find out like how the planets moved, you know, by just sitting at the breakfast table. And it, it took this incredible um, I wouldn't, I, you don't want to say a coincidence because Halley had a big part in it, but it took Newton writing all that stuff down in a book that Halley could read to enable him to do the stuff like predict when the comet would come back. And it's, you know, it's like, you know, it's like uh, James Burke connection style stuff where it's so fascinating to see something you think blah, blah history. This is how it went. Like how, how that kind of information accretes and snowballs and enables new things to happen. That took an extraordinary amount of curiosity and an extraordinary amount of work. I'm not trying to like, you know, put this up next to making a home movie. I mean, obviously it's not, it's not the same thing, <laughs> No, it sure but isn't. it's that same, but it's that same kind of like, you know, well, that's fine for Isaac Newton feeling that I think keeps people from thinking that they could be creative or they could be curious. Right. And, you know, I, I think at the heart of it, I, I don't know. I, I've said this before, and this is real, like Monday morning quarterbacking stuff. But I, I, I feel like it was, it was not an overt intention of the college I went to or liberal arts in general. But I feel like one nice thing about going to liberal arts school was I feel like the two. Que- I, I always the two things that I feel like I walked away with, apart from how to like deal with the financial aid office and stuff like that, and get your thesis formatted correctly, was I, I feel like I walked away feeling like um, I learned how to use a library. And learn how to learn. Right. I think that's pretty important. And that sounds so fuzzy and so fruity and so California. Like, sure, anybody can use a library. No, I mean, like, really learn how to, like, exhaust the resources to efficiently find something out, to learn the next thing you need, to find the next thing. It isn't how to go look up something on Google. It's how to leverage, like, research and learn that system so that you can understand whether by by reference or analogy, like how things are related to other things. That's how that's how the world got smart, is realizing things like that. But the second thing that I've only realized in the last probably 10, five, 10 years is that I feel like I, I unintentionally was given the sense of always asking how something may not be exactly what it seems and why that is. Mm-hmm. And uh, not, not, not nothing nefarious, but in order to understand, like, you know, how they describe the telegraph as like, Oh, never mind. But like you know, with the the cat with no cat, like something like that. Like that kind of an analogy. Like that. That to me, though, like maybe it's just the kind of people that end up going someplace goofy like that. But I think it takes a certain, if not suspicion of authority, it at least takes to 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 be a curious person as you get older and as it becomes easier to chunk information. Though I think it takes a certain kind of mindfulness to remember to be curious right. and to remember to ask the question and to and to not. And I mean, let's, let's, before you tell me something you like, take it, take it to the worst case scenario 
And I mean, when we all sit around and we laugh about buzzwords and we all laugh about the kinds of things people say that, you know, douchebags say in a business environment. Well, those are to, to use Orwell's term, thought terminating cliches. They're phrases that used to kind of mean something, but they increasingly mean less and less. And then when you speak whole paragraphs of these things that don't mean anything, it becomes very comfortable, but it's not communicating a lot, especially to a lay person. And like, but a basic curiosity would be to go, well, do I really have to talk like this? Do I have to really, you know, talk about drilling down and net net and opening the kimono? Right, and all there are, like there stuff? are other ways to do that. Right, right. So that's full, a choice. You're making a choice. Well, it might be, it, it might be a choice, but it's also just that whatever environment you're in, this kind of goes back to authority a little bit. I wish I had a better word, but it kind of goes back to whatever environment you're in, uh, whatever, you know, whatever the boss does and whatever the successful and highly rewarded people do, that's what other people are going to emulate. And, you know, there are certain kinds of evocative questions that may not be welcome in certain environments. And I think it's not unusual, I'll speak for myself, it's not unusual at all to get to that, that combination of, on the one hand, chunking more and more information and going, okay, this is like that. I already understand that. I don't need to learn about this. This is like this band I already hated 30 years ago. I don't need to listen to them. It could also be, though, in a business environment, when you start using words like environment, it's not really in a business environment. Mm-hmm. I mean, what does that really mean when we say that? There's all these, but I guess what I'm just saying is like, I'll let you talk here. But I, I think, I think that it's, uh, it becomes, you, you can slip very easily from that childlike wonder about why the world is the way it is and why these folders, the items in this folder are named the way that they are. When you're a kid, you're used to being stupid a lot of the time. Mm. When I first got on the internet, I was perma-stupid. Like, everywhere I went, I was confused. I thought the Free Software Foundation was about Mac shareware. And I learned I was wrong. And then I learned more about what it was for. I still don't know a lot about it. But that going into that world, world of just you know text one line at a time, pretty much, was a really strange learning experience. I had to be very humble. And I was just brimming with curiosity. But then as you get older, I think you're less inclined to ask really big questions about things because you sound like kind of a nut or, or you sound like somebody who's trying to rock the boat or you sound like a smart ass. Right. But at the, at the bottom line, you're you're punished. That curiosity that used to, you know, to drive you is now sort of like a liability. Yeah. In a way. I agree. Yeah. Tell me something you like. Oh, I can do that. I can tell you about something you like smile. Hmm. Love, love. They have a little product uh, out called PDF Pen Scan Plus. And they're always innovating. They're always, they're very curious. They're very curious creatures over at Smile. If you need to do anything with PDFs, you need to check out PDF Pen from Smile. Here's, here's the way this works. You can do things that you, I, mean, I don't want to call them basic, but they're important things that you need to do a lot. For example, add a signature make changes to text and images, correct a typo, fill out forms. All of this stuff with PDFs. This is the kind of thing that we used to think of a PDF as, well, someone made that, so now I've got to go print it, and now I've got to go write on it, and then maybe I can scan it or take a picture of it with this thing. And No. You can do all of this right inside PDF Pen. You can have a scan document. Guess what? They can OCR it. So you convert that into text that you can now search, you can copy, you can correct it. You want to remove sensitive information from it, like you've got a tax ID on there and you don't want that to go out to the other guy. You can pull that off. Redaction. Remove the stuff you want to keep private. Now, PDF Pen 6, they're out. It's out now. 
and it's better than ever. They've updated all the tools. They've made it, it just look even better. And now they've got a thing that lets you export these PDFs to Microsoft Word, so they're even easier to share. But this is the brand new thing. This is the big news. PDF Pen Scan Plus. Now, the power, it's just like Doc Ock uh, says, the power <laughs> of your office right in your pocket uh, you scan contracts, invoices, receipts. It'll pull them in as a PDF, but it just happens on your phone or your iPad. Built-in OCR to make that thing into editable text. Now, it's $4.99 in the App Store. You can also go to smilesoftware.com slash 5 by 5 and you'll see the lovely and uh, and beautiful David Sparks talking about PDF Pen Scan Plus. Uh, just go check this stuff out. Tons of great resources there. Smilesoftware.com slash five by five. Go check it out. Thanks very much to Smile for supporting Merlin Man. Thank you. I was using it just the other day. Somebody who's probably listening right now. I uh, Like in a I creepy, owe, creepy way? Um, I, uh, I owe him or her a PDF document. And, uh, and I went in and I signed it. And I put in form fields where there were no form fields. And it's just a lifesaver. It's the best. It's, um, yeah, it's a great, it's a, they're such a great company. I just, uh, I was doing something and I accidentally quit out of text expander this morning and I panicked. Suddenly, <laughs> suddenly it wasn't working mm-hmm. and I felt like seven of my fingers had been removed oh or something gosh. like where you're like, Oh, whoa, 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 why didn't that do that? It's, uh, I should mention, let me mention this, uh, yeah. more than, more than in passing. Let me absolutely mention this. Uh, I should have mentioned at the top of the show. Um, Dan, I returned to visit with our friends at Mac Power Users. MPU. MPU here on the... Uh, MPU. Mac Sparky and Katie Kate over there on uh, here on the Mighty 5x5. Merlin my Strikes f- Back. Yeah. That's because it's episode five. It's the fifth... Are you ready for this? <laughs> fifth annual visit to their show. Isn't that bananas? Five years. You line <laughs> them up, I'll knock them down. One by so one. What? Yeah, no, exactly. Um... Uh, it's pretty weird. It, it's definitely, uh, every, uh, it's an annual thing around, I think spring or so. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it was pretty great. I mean, we talked a lot about home automation, which is probably pretty boring to a lot of people, but what it makes me think of here in mentioning text expander is like, what it is that makes an app sticky, especially on iOS? Like what, what is it? That, it's so strange to like try and figure out why it is. Why did I ever even start using this app? And then why did I quit using this app? Like, why did this fall off my homepage? Like, what is it that makes you like return to an app and like go seek it out and keep it updated and invest cognitive, um, do make a cognitive investment in it by using it over and over? I, I thought that was kind of an interesting uh, conversation. And it's always a joy to talk to those guys. Plus, ha- handsome, I, handsome people. I think I might've invented the idea of Mac power users fan fiction. And I would like to encourage everyone out there to work on that. How does that work? I don't know. I, I, I just put them out there. They're, just, they're going to have to run with it. It's their, their thing. <laughs> That's their cross to bear now. Yeah. You don't have to worry about that. You put it out there yeah. and now it's in the world. Now it's, yeah, exactly. Curiosity. Hmm? Uh, the way I was thinking about this with my friend with regard to this talk and expertise and all this is like, you know, I didn't want to just go in there as somebody who doesn't know Jack about development and sit there and try to lecture people about like how to be a good developer. But I, I am very interested in the stuff that we, can learn about expertise um, in the broader sense. Like, and just to repeat a little bit from last week, because it's endlessly fascinating to me. Like, how is it that we start out not knowing 
what we don't know about something we didn't know existed. Like we're, you, you could live in this world of total ignorance, not even knowing. There are people who like who still haven't discovered coffee. Probably there are people out there who who have not discovered uh, what I don't know OS ten. I don't know. But you, you just learn about this. There's something out there, and you're like you don't even think you need to know about it. And we covered a lot of this last week. But it takes a certain amount of curiosity to to, to learn anything because learning something takes time. It takes frustration. You know, if you learn it too easily, it's probably not super interesting or Mm -hmm. you're a genius. It takes patience and it takes resilience and grit, if you like, to be able to stick with something long enough to not feel like a total doofus when you're doing it, to not have to look everything up every time. It takes a long time. And I, I, I think it's important to note, it takes frustration. It takes failure. It takes, you know, it takes humility and it takes being a little bit of a dummy and being okay with that for a while. It's amazing how many people you run into who refuse to be a dummy about anything. What do and you mean? Ex- explain that. Oh, uh, you just encounter people sometimes who, who think they're an expert on everything and they don't seem to really know that much about anything because they're, they think that it's more important. This is a huge straw man, but I think it's true. You encounter people, certainly in business, who really feel like they know lots of stuff about stuff. But, you know, I think pe- you can get so used to, maybe this goes back to authority, but you get so used to being around people who you, publicly mostly agree with about an important subset of what's involved in that, in that business or that environment or that, you know, it could be uh, in education, but you, you know, there are not that many people challenging you about like what's super valuable to know. And so it's really easy to kind of just write stuff off. It's like anti-curiosity in some ways. Um, or, you know, or there's some things where it's prescribed to be curious. Like it's okay for you to be curious about getting better at golf or, or whatever that is. But, um, the, the one that really got me in thinking about this is, you know, and I, I don't want to, I'm trying to avoid going into something I really don't know about, which is disruptive businesses. I'm really interested in things, though, like how Uber is changing the way San Francisco operates. Something, I don't know, I picked this off of a, a, a website, but supposedly like a third of the cab drivers in San Francisco have switched from being cab drivers to working for Uber. And it's, a, it's, Having a cab company has been a pretty difficult business to run for a long time, but it's gotten real super difficult, obviously, uh, with Uber coming along in an unregulated way. Love them or hate them. Uber and Lyft are really changing the way people think about getting around town in cities like San Francisco. But, you know, that story, the fact that you could go from not knowing what Uber is, whatever, 18 months ago, to a place where now, I mean, these industries are being completely shaken up. Isn't it incredible to think that how much um, an industry that mature and annoying could change that many decades old, could right. change so completely, really in like... In no time, in, in days, relatively speaking. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's true. I mean, there's, there's so many things where, and I, I should post this, there's a... I don't know. I, you know, people talk about disruptive stuff and it always sounds so douchey, but, it, but you know, it really is, it really is true that, you know, you could be at the top of your game in something for a pretty long time. And in the amount of time it takes for you to like disappear for a sabbatical, you might come back and discover that maybe, maybe you're not obsolescent. Maybe, maybe your skills are not obsolescent, but there has been a dramatic change that now requires some overt catch up on your part. Mm. There's an, I heard a thing on uh, NPR the other day about uh, what they call it the aging of Silicon Valley and the ageism of Silicon Valley, right? And how you know you meet lots of um, you don't meet that many I guess like entrepreneurs over a certain age, so many en- or engineers over a certain age. It changes so fast. You don't see the beardy guys in their sixties as much as you used to even ten years ago. 
because it changes so fast, the skills. And I mean, I'm sure the BS doesn't help. But um, how do you make sure, why am I telling you all this? Because as you get really good at what you do, as you approach the level of, as I say, the old butcher, you're the guy you can tell that this is a pound and a half. Right, without knowing why. Without knowing why. When you get to that level, how do you know how sound the butcher industry is at that point? How You know what I mean? How do you stay curious about the thing that you're better at than everybody else? Because my gut is that a lot of the people who get extremely good at something had the kind of natural curiosity that will help them um, keep their keep keep something out, like kind of looking out of the corner of their eye at what else could be happening that they might want to learn about before it becomes you know a, a big drama to have to go learn a new trade. I mean, you know, for example, I mean, an obvious one I guess would be word processing, where it, there was a time when you know you would have just these they call them secretarial pools. You would have giant rooms full of people who did nothing but typing and I guess like 10 key and stuff like that. Right. And then word processing came along. And if you had the special skills to do word processing, a lot of that could be automated. Um, the errors, the error rate went way down on being able to do word processing. And then eventually when you move into the true like PC era, like everybody's got that on their desk. There's no reason that some people can't just be typing their own letter. That took longer. But again, that's not, you know, if you went to a dedicated school to learn that trade at one point, it did not, it was not going to stick with you for 40 years. Most of us obviously will keep up along the way. You have to, you got to repot yourself occasionally, but I don't know. I guess I'm just interested. I I guess I wonder if in some ways the people who are most potentially endangered are certainly the incurious people, but maybe the people who are at the lower to middle levels who like, what are the, what are the risks in a technical trade in particular to not being a curious person? Are there risks to that? To not being curious. Yeah, because I think like can you, know, you can you inspire creativity, or can somebody become not creativity curiosity? Yeah, well, they're, they're, I think they're heavily related. Yeah, I mean that weird little little slip there. But can can you inspire that in somebody? I think everybody is creative. I'm not sure everybody naturally has the same level of of curiosity of wanting to know why, and you know, there, you know, even even just like between my two kids. Um, my little girl, she's less interested in why than she is in how. And my son is much less interested in how than he is in why. And, uh, you know, she's two and a half and he's six and a half. Hmm. And maybe it's an age thing right now. Maybe it's a gender thing. Maybe it's just a unique individual personality thing. I don't know. But it's fascinating because... I remember as a little kid being much more interested in why. I mean, I remember that was always the the question, the stereotypical, why is the sky blue? Why on this night do we, you know, but for me, it was always, why is that? Not necessarily that I wanted to do anything with that or how do I use that to do something just as like, I just wanted to know. And I see people all the time who don't, seem to be curious about things. They're content to just say, oh, that is the way it is because it is the way it is. And, you know, like sometimes I'm driving in the car, Merlin, and I remember something my friend said to me in in high school. Uh, we were driving and I was doing one of these incredibly dumb things that uh, high school boys will do, which is we were riding down a hill. So, of course, I would turn the car off and I would you know, put it into like, I would try and guess if it would start better if I had it in third gear or fourth gear and I would pop it into third gear and, and 
let, you know, it was a manual and I would, you know, slowly pop the clutch and give it a little gas and boom, and it would catch right back up. And I remember him saying, Dan, is, is that good for the car? Do you think? <laughs> and I said, I don't think it's good or bad for the car. And he said, everything is either good or bad for the car. It's never neutral. And that always made me think, and you'll, I think you'll see where I'm going with this in a second. It always had made me think a lot, and I still think this, that, you know, and we've talked about this, by driving your car, you're, you're ruining the car. It may take it a, a little while to ruin it. It may take it a long time to ruin it. But every single piece of the car, be, by being used, through the process of being used to do what you do, you're, you're slowly to, to destroying use it, it. But to use it to... Use it for the specific reason that it was designed and built and manufactured and purchased. Exactly. If you use Within your car for what it's parameters. for, yeah. you're killing it. Right. And the yeah. same thing with your shoes and the same thing with your belt and the same thing with your body and the same thing with everything. That in, Or in almost every case, right? Like the fact that you're using the thing in the exact correct way, it's still, you know, the flag that we've got hanging on the wall in the studio is deteriorating. I can't tell a difference between it now and it when I got it a year ago. But if you leave that flag up there long enough and wait long enough, eventually it will completely fall apart and, and, you know, rip itself to shreds and be gone because that's the nature of, of the universe that we live in. But this, you know, these kinds of things, like I'm always thinking about something like that when I'm driving the car, I'm like, Oh yeah, right. I'm I'm slowly destroying the car right now, and I wonder which parts of it are you know are are they the, how do these gears work? Is this better for the car? Is this worse for the car to drive it like that? Like I'm always thinking about that kind of thing, and that's just one example. Yesterday, I went to the eye doctor, and uh, we were talking about you know she was going to one or two, one or two, one or two. And I'm, can you go back to one again? Sure, of course, one or two. And I said, does that take me, you know, I said, thanks for going back and forth so many times. She's like, oh, sure. She said, uh, I said, does this take, am I taking longer than most people do to do this? She's like, yeah, maybe a little bit. She's like, but you're what they call a critical observer. And I said, I said, well, what do you mean? And she said, well, that's something that we, in our, in school, we learned that certain people, you give them a basic prescription and their eyes pretty much just adjust to it and they don't really care because it looks better than it did before. So they're happy. I said, okay, she's critical observers. Everything has to be just right. Hmm. And they will take more time and they will want it to be perfect. And she said, they used to tell us back in school, like beware of the engineers, beware of the scientists, beware of those types of people because they, they will not beware like they're bad, but just make, make a note that, you'll spend more time with them getting it right. Um, she said, you know, a lot of people, you can be within four or five points of where their prescription actually is. And to them, it, it will be great and they won't have any problem with it. She's like, someone like you, the lens has to be ground the exact way that I write this prescription or it will be completely unusable to you. And I said, yeah, I can't tell you how many times I have to get lenses remade. Wow. And she's like, well, that, that's, that's why, because you notice those things. And I said, well, I don't want to notice them. I would be much happier with a more generic prescription. She's like, oh, well, yeah, but you can't help it. Hmm. Makes me think about people like Gruber with typography, typesetting. Right. You know, where... You know, for for the vast majority of people, you know, all over the world, Ariel and Helvetica are 
not only indistinguishable, but they're indistinguishable from you know dozens of other typefaces. And and really, let's be honest, most people would not notice it to begin with, right? The fact that like the typefaces in Iron Giant really bother me, I I can't even tell you why they bother me. Apart from seeming a little bit out of the period, mm-hmm. but but that's that's a that's a kind of a funny thing where like nobody, I don't think anybody really enjoys being like that. But yeah, so like it's not, a, it's not a it's not a it's not a I don't want that. You know, right. I would much rather be, oh yeah, you know, like my, my wife is a good example of this. Like she goes just, you know, whatever the generic vision place is in the, you know, in the shopping center and goes in there and they, you know, she sits down and they, they give her an eye exam and they write her prescription and she gets the glasses and they're fine. Every time, <laughs> fine. They're just fine. And yeah, I bet you envy that. Of course, of course I do because mine are <laughs> never fine. Right. Mine almost always, well, we're going to, the right one is, is okay, but we could remake the left one. You'll be without your glasses for another week. Oh, great. I, I'm tempted to say there's, there's, there's a couple threads here around curiosity, around creativity, and I, I'm still struggling for a better word than authority, but you can almost think of it as maybe even more like inertia. Where, what is, what inertia and like normalcy? Like, what's the normal thing? Like, you probably seem like a little bit of a pain in the ass. Because you're noticing stuff that most people don't notice. Luckily, that person who's talking to you aha, has the expertise to know that, that you are the critical, what was it? Critical, critical observer. observer, yeah. Right, which is really good to know. I guess the. Like, I, don't um, think, I don't know if I were to walk in and be like, well, I'm a critical observer. And they'd be like, oh, okay, well, then, you know, I don't know if it works that way, if, if that's like a thing. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's not, I don't think anyone would choose that. Maybe they would. I like your question about whether it's something that can be, or should, I guess, be taught. Like, how would you encourage somebody? Think about, like, it's all we can do sometimes to get our daughter to to do her, we get like a monthly homework assignment. It's like all the stuff that's going to be due by the end of the month. Oh, yeah. And there's some stuff she loves doing, other stuff she doesn't love doing. And what she never loves doing is being told that it's time to do that. So, you know, sometimes it feels like it's all we can do to, and it's mostly my wife's, thing. She does all the heavy lifting on this, but still, um, you know, just getting her to want to do that or getting her to do that, let alone want to do that. Yeah. already feels like enough of a task. It feels like enough of a task. I imagine for most people who teach school, you know, all of your best, you know, beliefs and hopes aside, like it's a pretty good day if nobody ended up in the hospital or getting sent to the principal's office. And if the assignments got turned in on time and so forth, I mean, it's, it's a lot to ask of people to tell them, especially in an institution, it's a lot to ask of people to tell them to toe the line, to learn this, to learn this flawlessly, to, to always, always try your hardest to get a hundred percent. Like your biggest goal in here is to absorb all this information and then get a, get a good grade. Not that that's bad, but I mean, that's, that's the, the message of all education is that this is about you having great absorption and retention of this information and not getting in trouble essentially. So it could feel a little bit uh, off-brand or even antithetical to say, and now just without me finding out, know when it's time to just go duck out and go read an encyclopedia. Or feel free to take apart my cell phone if that suits you. you. There's something a little bit, not quite rebellious, but something a little bit countercultural about curiosity. Because curiosity naturally Implicit in curiosity is the idea that what you've learned so far is somehow not quite enough. 
You know, it takes a certain right. kind of anarchic greediness. A discontent. Discontent. I like anarchic greediness, like in the sense that, like, I don't even know what it is that I want, but I'm pretty sure there's something else out there. Do you have any more of these in the back? Could I go look at those? Could I take this? Could I try this? Could I do these combinations? Could I do these nutty things? And, you know, and, and again, this is where curiosity and creativity get so complicated. Somebody might be curious about what happens when you mix these different paints together. Like, like let's say you got a little kid. And you say, well, remember red and yellow makes orange and da da da. You go, what happens if I what happens if I dump all of these together? Well, I can tell you it's gonna happen. It's gonna make black and it's gonna be gross and you're gonna be wasting paint. But right? I yeah. mean kind of, I've done that. Quit doing that. Stop doing that. Stop stop making a big beige ball of play-doh. I told you what that would do. I told you. Then I go into like Bill Cosby mode. But like that's that is uh, as dumb as that seems to me, the creative guy, for her to waste her play-doh like mm-hmm. that. That is a creative experience for her. She's learning what happens when she does that. Right. She might have to make a lot of beige play-doh before she figures out something else. And here's here's the crazy thing. It might take making her fifth batch of beige Play-Doh where she realizes there's some weird, what we would call a property to Play-Doh that lets her do this thing where she can make it into these little spaghetti things and she could turn that into like a little cup and then the cup and that makes her want to study pottery and who knows what's going to happen. But if she doesn't put her hands on that and do that herself in that weirdly subversive way that's annoying to adults, that's what curiosity is. There's something a little bit provocative about it. Um, Something a little sassy about it. Uh, You know, I guess... I don't know. I'm not really going anywhere with this, but I, you know, I, I, I'm not going to say I worry about it because I spend plenty of time just looking into new stuff. I, you know, it's, it's, I, uh, I love Wikipedia. (laughs) I am just amazed. You can't believe, I can't even tell you how many pages every day I send to Wikipedia, send to uh, Instapaper to just go learn about the top selling singles of all time. Right. To go in, I mean, let me just go look at what I've got in here. While you but, do that, let me do our final sponsor. Oh, I wish you would. Thank you, Dan. HostGator.com, premier web hosting provider. They are based here in Texas. In fact, on Austin and Houston, and they're wonderful, wonderful folks. If you are looking to start a website, they can help you get started. They have monthly hosting plans. They've got tons of one-click installs. Great features. They make getting your site up and running easy. And this is the thing. They're going to give you, and, and, and you know what I love about them? I mean, yes, they have like the regular shared stuff. VPS stuff. They have the best VPS implementation I've ever seen. What is a VPS? Virtual private server. You go there and they have these great little, when you go to, you go to hostgator.com. And they're going to have these little sliders that let you configure. So up at the top, it says VPS hosting. You go there and you can pick. You, oh, look at this. What's this? VPS hosting. Hmm. What kind of server do I want? Do I want one with two CPU, two cores, two gigs of RAM, 120 gigs of disk space, 1.5 terabytes of bandwidth? Hmm. Yeah, I think I want. To, oh, you know what? No, I, I want something a little less. You drag, you drag the scroll bar. You did have these little, you know, sliders. You drag it to the left. Oh, I only need one core, one gig of RAM, 60 gig. Done. You completely configure this thing, and that's just that's just in the beginning. They've got really great deals and stuff that it comes with. You're gonna, it's gonna include unlimited domains, unlimited subdomains. You got your unlimited MySQL databases, but you have root access to these things. So if you're like, well, I don't want MySQL, I want PostgreSQL. Just one click installs, man. It's all there, all there. Virtualization done right. So go check these guys out. HostGator. Com. And when you go there, there is a special code that you must use. It is back to work spelled out. What will happen? You'll get 30% off of everything, which is pretty awesome. 24-7 support. 
always there to help you. HostGator.com code is back to work spelled out 30% off everything at HostGator. Go check out their VPSs. Let them know I sent you. Take care. Be careful out there. It's a scary world hosting. HostGator.com. That's the only, they're going to have to run with that. It's a scary world. <laughs> I mean, it's there. Dan, it's there. If they want to use it, they can use it. I know. That's they got to run with it. Dan, you're back. You sound, you're on fire and fuego. Hey! <laughs> People got, are uh, people are base jumping off the the Freedom Tower in New York. Hmm. That doesn't seem. Well, they shouldn't call it the Freedom Tower if they didn't want people doing that. Doesn't seem advised. Yeah. A hundred and four floors, and they jumped at night. They jumped yeah. off this thing. It seems that's, that's, so dumb. That's pretty dumb. I got I got drow elves. I know Gnosia. I've got Tammany Hall. What is this? Oh, these are all my Wikipedia entries in uh, Instapaper from the last couple weeks. Oh, Babylon Five, um, Stoicism, uh, the concept of Shuhari, which was sent to us by a uh, by a listener, uh, Ira Glass, uh, Jack Cornfield, and the book series called Very Short Introductions. Hmm. Those are some. Oh, and disruptive innovation. I'm super bummed. I'm kind of uh, at, a, at a rough spot now with my son. Hmm. Because we read all the Narnia books now. Oh, you, you could read them again in, the, in a different order. I think he'd remember them too well. We did, he just, enjoy, did he enjoy them? He seemed to really like them. And he'll make you know a reference to something that happened. Oh, well, that's like uh, Bottle Glum. <laughs> Hell yeah, it is. That's good. He's assimilating. Yeah, it's fully it's like full he's assimilation. He's pulling, uh, pulling uh, information together. That's that's creative. But what you know? What do you do? Where do you go to next? The Hobbit. <sighs> are there parts of that that are really in an actual like Elvish language? Well, you don't read that. You can't speak that. See, I don't understand how you read that. Are you supposed to just actually like really? read the part that is in elf language like I just you can read skip it? over all the dwarf songs I don't try to read them can you just do that with the whole series skip over the whole book the whole part any part with a dwarf in it just skip that <laughs> that seems a little bit height normative yeah 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 well you're sick you want to button this up sure let's do that okay I love you Dan I love you too Merlin man yeah. 